Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey everybody, so before the episode begins, I just wanted to hop on and say it has been six months since we have filmed this episode and we have recorded this. So if you like this episode, we came out with an entire series afterwards on the BRI. So definitely go and check those out. We get into a lot more issues in a lot more depth. So you're going to hear a ton more from that new segment after this episode because y'all loved this episode so much. It was our most popular episode. So definitely feel free to go and check out those episodes. You'll get a lot more in-depth and a lot more different topics that you might not necessarily have thought of with the BRI. So go check them out. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. So what are we going to be talking about this week? China's Belt and Road Initiative. Ooh, okay, okay. So we know that the Belt and Road Initiative has been a hot topic. As China, I mean, within foreign policy, absolutely. It's one of the biggest ones lately. Okay, because I don't think I've actually really heard anything about it. Well, thank God we can explain some more too, y'all. Because China, as you know, is a big, big policy objective for Joe Biden. He's pulled out of Afghanistan at this point. He is trying to get out of the Middle East, and he is trying to shift U.S. foreign policy towards Asia. Like diplomacy, peace, or... Diplomacy, peace, security efforts, all of the above. He is trying to shift over towards Asia. But wait, China doesn't really like us. Uh, yeah, you know, we're in a bit of an adversarial relationship, so it's pretty interesting to kind of, like, see what's going on. I mean, especially with COVID, like, tensions between China and Trump were... Mm-hmm. interesting to they say were, the least yeah you know a little high a little high you know the i'm not gonna say it but i think you all know what trump what trump was saying about china so mm-hmm. yeah pretty horrible things so biden's doing the opposite he's shifting his entire focus towards the asian countries like china japan and South malaysia mm-hmm. yeah Because we have great allies with Japan and South Korea. So it's pretty interesting to go and see the U.S. really place an emphasis on focusing on this new region. Which, I mean, it's not really a new region at all. But in terms of American foreign policy, it's a pretty new start to it. Since America's mostly been concerned with the Middle East for as long as, you know, most of us have been alive. Gen Z and later millennials. Did they discover oil in Asia? They did not discover oil in Asia, so it's just a little wild that all of a sudden the focus is being shifted over there. Maybe they finally had Asian cuisine. Maybe. I've got to tell you, some of the best food. Absolutely. Some of the best food. Shout out to our old Model UN professor, Korean barbecue. We see you, Professor Kubitschek. Yeah, if you're listening to this, please tell us... Tell everybody how much you love the Korean barbecue. I love it too. Listen, it's the best time ever, and I'm so thankful to be exposed to Korean barbecue. It is by far one of the best cuisines I've ever had. It's great. You get to cook it yourself. Mm-hmm. It's so much Wait, fun. Hunter, aren't you a vegetarian? I am. So wait, how? I thought Korean barbecue was like. I mean, you don't have bulgogi. to cook meat. You don't. You don't have to cook meat. You can still. You can still cook some other. The, Good, good. I love meat, so unfortunately, I'm not abreast <laughs> of the vegetarian options. Listen, that's all good. But so we are moving into Asia. Mm-hmm. Is North Korea also included in that whole let's make peace and have better agreements and whatnot? Um, somewhat. China hasn't been as close to North Korea recently, though. So it's a little interesting to kind of see North Korea kind of on its own a little bit. I mean, it's still connected to China, but it's it's a little on its own lately. But the BRI, it is 
planning on encompassing most of Asia and most of Europe, and even expanding over to Africa as well. What does the United States think of this initiative? So the United States is a little fearful of it because it's such a massive foreign policy expansion from China. It's really taking what China has been harnessing from their growing energy over the past 50, 60 years, and they are really going out and trying to engage with so many other countries in the world because the best way to really gain power in a global system is to start engaging more and more and more in the global system to entangle yourself to it. Because at that point, if your empire ever falls, so does everybody else's. So I know that Asia is not the biggest fan of Western values. I know that's Mm. what's caused a lot of tension in the past. So with this Belt and Road Initiative, do you think that they will be incorporating more Western values into theirs, some sort of like merge? I think that there will be somewhat of a merge just because they are going to be dealing with a lot of European countries as well. Um, So it's really going to take kind of a merge of these values coming together to create such a large project. So how is this going to impact things like the trade? So basically everything including Asia, Europe, and Africa. So they're really going into Africa with heavy investments. Oh, what are they going to be investing in Africa? There's a lot of infrastructure investments because they know that the best way to increase economic prosperity within China is also to increase economic prosperity abroad. So you can buy more Chinese goods at the end of the day. There are a lot of different ways that it's going to impact world trade. So first of all, there's going to be a land road and there's also going to be a maritime road. Um, So this is basically going to encompass all of the Eastern Hemisphere and a bit of the Western as well as also moving into more soft power influences by, you know, having more Chinese tourism in these places, as well as hard power with installations of military bases like in Djibouti. They're having military bases in Djibouti? Yes, the first Chinese overseas military base is based in Djibouti. And this is coming from this Belt and Road Initiative. What is like the Belt and Road Initiative? Like what? So the Belt and Road Initiative is essentially a giant foreign policy plan for China. But like infrastructure, economy? Yeah. So President Xi Jinping, he is really placing this as one of his top priorities for foreign policy. It's composed of economic interest going into other countries offering infrastructure, which this gets into part of the problem of being a bit of a debt trap, which some opponents of the BRI, they have labeled this as a debt trap. So What's a debt trap? So this is essentially where host countries will pay for these infrastructure upgrades, but at a very large cost, and then they enter into some pretty unsavory deals simply to help get something like a new bridge or a dam. But then they end up having such high interest rates that it's really not worth what they're paying in the end. Isn't that like something we see in Australia? Like I feel like Australia got very close to China and then Maybe not a debt trap, or maybe it is. For example, Hong Kong that was leased to Britain for 99 years. I mean, that's a pretty unsavory deal. This is a large city within China that was leased to a whole other country for 99 years. You could lease countries. Like, I signed a lease to live here. (laughs) I mean, that was through a bunch of colonialization. But yeah, essentially, you can force another country into leasing property there, which is insane. Okay, that's that is crazy to think about. Yeah, so, you never really hear about that in international politics. So wait, why are other countries like not getting into Africa? Like it feels like there's a lot that could be done over there. Why haven't like the well, United so States China's really there? doing this because it's a really great way to engage. The U.S. isn't doing it as much because you know the U.S. has a really 
big aversion. The U.S. electorate has a big aversion to the word foreign aid, you know. So essentially, if you have to vote for this foreign aid, you have to go and explain to your constituents why you're doing it. And, you know, countering China is not always the best of explanations. It's not always going to suffice for all of your constituents back home. So you've really got to come up with this reasoning to explain to your constituents why you want to give, you know, 400, 500 million dollars in foreign aid to this other country when there's still a lot of domestic problems at home. So it really comes into this big issue with these senators and House of Representative members where, you know, if they want to give foreign aid, they really have to know how to explain it. And unfortunately, the U.S. electorate, they're not always willing to hear those explanations and they're not really willing to process those all the times. So while it is a big thing and, you know, it really would be helpful to U.S. national security, it's not always the easiest to do that because of the U.S. electorate. So would we be seeing more Chinese tourism in Africa then? Honestly, I think that that's a pretty great thing that... China would love to see happen. China would love to see more tourism there. We already know they want Arctic tourism. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. If you guys haven't caught our Arctic episode, you guys should totally go and listen to it. But yeah, I mean, China wants to expand soft power. And one of the best ways to do that is through tourism. You're going to meet so many more people and you're really going to understand a lot of their values and where they come from. And honestly, that's where a lot of the grassroots diplomacy really comes from. It's just fostering these new relationships and new engagements with other people. So I'm a little nervous for Africa falling into a debt trap. Kind of seems a little risque, but also I'm excited for them, kind of. I mean, on one hand, you know, they're receiving infrastructure that, you know, they otherwise wouldn't have. The U.S. isn't really engaging in this level of infrastructure development in developing nations. But it also comes at a bit of a price. It seems like the U.S. electorate is really adverse to foreign aid, especially when there are so many domestic problems. That's why... You know, we saw a big rise of America first, and we really want to focus on American issues first. Meanwhile, U.S. national security, that objectively is a American issue. and Security is always a top priority issue. Yeah, but a lot of people don't always think about it through infrastructure payments to some country in the middle of the African continent. They're not always thinking about national security like that. A lot of people think of national security like... How many planes do we have? How many missiles do we have? How many submarines? They're not thinking about the soft power national security issues, such as donating infrastructure payments, helping another country, you know, really set up this new infrastructure, whether that be broadband or helping them figure out computer servers. You know, when you say it like that, it makes sense because I think like there's those missionaries and whatnot from America that go into Africa and they like go and help the communities and whatnot. Quote. <laughs> yeah, quote, in quotes, they go and help the communities. And they're kind of seen as like just another colonizer. Mm-hmm. Like you're just looking at it like, oh, yeah, there goes so, the white colonizers to the African village. Exactly. And so some countries really take an issue with the BRI because they feel as though it is somewhat predatory. And nobody really wants to be accused of being a modern day colonizer. So that's why some countries aren't as on board with the BRI, just because of how they may be seen through it. Um, Has any country expressed any, I don't want to say distaste for it, but has any country... You know, you're going in and you're utilizing Chinese companies and Chinese contractors to go and build these large infrastructure projects. And that really leaves a lot of soft power in these countries where you know, you're engaging a lot more with Chinese citizens. So you're really understanding China on a lot better level 
within these host countries than you would if it was just the host country's contractors and laborers that would be working on these infrastructure projects because you have so many new Chinese citizens in the host country. Given any criticism to China for their... India so far has been one of the biggest criticizers about it. They feel as though it's going to be really hard to contain China um, once it really breaks out and is really a global influential power, as if China already is a global influential power. But once it really engages in the BRI, that's when China's really going to, you know, use its foreign policy and use its might to, you know, really have a lot of sway in international politics. So is it just India? No other countries have been saying anything? There's some other. I mean, the U.S., you know, you, the U.S. is always trying to counter China on everything that it does. But They've you know, always got an opinion. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of scholars are even saying that the U.S. should be engaging with the BRI. Because if you're engaging with it, you at least have a say in how things go. If you're sitting and complaining from the outside, your opinion at the end of the day isn't going to matter as much as someone who's a vested partner in it. Well, so you said the BRI includes Europe, too. I think we've been kind of Mm -hmm. talking about Africa, but includes Europe. What does the European Union have to say? The European Union has a really distinct relationship with China. They've really been trying to decouple from U.S. foreign policy, where it's more of an adversarial approach and more of a partnership approach. A lot of these European nations, they've been really trying to go ahead and, you know, become a partner with China rather than view China as an adversary. Well, I'd say China kind of placed its own adversarial status on itself. I think that a lot of that is through the wolf warrior diplomacy, though, that we've been seeing throughout the Trump years and the early years of Xi Jinping. However, we're starting to move away from that where Chinese diplomats aren't engaging in such heavy-handed diplomacy with others, and it's really turning into more of a strategic partnership approach. But what if they're just doing it like a sneak attack, like not so bold and brazen and more so just... Their growing friendship with China led to Chinese influence in the Australian political sector. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now they're fighting against that Chinese influence, but there's they have institutes all over Australia teaching Confucian... Confucian values. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so would we see something like that happening in Africa if they were to fall into these debt traps? That might be, because that's a lot of display of soft power, which we talked about in our first Intro to Theory episode. Soft power being power that you can get through relationships and essentially not through military or economic ways. So this soft power, it's really a big thing for Chinese influence. Again, predatory and kind of almost just sneaky, like a sneaky link. They are doing it behind behind everybody's back. No one's seeing what they're doing. And that's honestly how you can get away with a lot of things. If there's no visibility, no transparency. At that point, though, that's when you really have to be engaging with this to, you know, up your own national security and make sure that your own national security interests are being taken as, you know, valid concerns here. So the European nations that are really engaging with the BRI, they're more readily able to go and engage with China and say, hey, you know, we don't really like this aspect of this. What can we do to, you know, make this more amenable to the both of us? And then there will be a partnership approach towards it, whereas the U.S. is sitting on the outside, not really engaging with this and, you know, You can scream all you want from the outside, but you're probably not going to get as much changed as if you were on the inside and you were trying to come to an agreement together rather than trying to force someone's hand in doing something. So, like, have we seen any other examples of this, or...? So, Erica, what could we do to counter this? Well, we can become part of the project, probably, and so that's not so much, like, China versus everybody in this 
Belt Road Initiative, but more so all of us together participating in a form of united diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing that we could kind of see as somewhat to this extent would be either the British or the Portuguese during their colonialization times. Okay, so you mentioned that they also established a military base, which I feel is kind of like an offensive tactic. Like, they, well, this plan will be establishing mm-hmm. a overseas military base from China. Are we going to be seeing any more of those? So it's likely that there will eventually be more um, simply due to trade being involved and somewhat of a national security concern for ensuring the safety of Chinese peoples abroad. That's basically exactly how the U.S. goes and justifies all of our military bases abroad is once you have all these vested interests abroad, you have to be able to defend them. So I do think that it'll be likely that we'll be seeing more military bases. However, I think that those will mostly be in either Asia or Africa and not so much in Europe, just because Europe is so closely associated with the U.S. So I don't think that we're going to be seeing, you know, a U.S. air base and a Chinese air base right next to each other in the, in the backyards of Europe. If I were the United States and I saw another country building overseas military base, I would probably have my guns at the ready. Mm-hmm. So why aren't they really countering it with anything? So, I mean, the U.S. is countered by having already so many different military bases abroad. Um, Essentially, China's nowhere near catching up to the U.S. in terms of overseas military bases. Um, You know, they have one to our number of military bases abroad. So they're they're not really close on that front. So it's not something the U.S. needs to worry about at this moment. However, it is something to really think about going forward. And, you know, how exactly would you counter these things? Would you need to increase naval spending? Would you need to increase air base spending? So where exactly would you be putting those tax dollars to really go and combat this? But there's a lot of different options that you can do. Think like when... Sorry, this meme always makes me laugh. But when Victoria Justice, like when they're asking the Victoria, <laughs> I know cast, exa- I know exactly what you're talking and about. And they're like, and they're like, who's the best singer? And everybody's going like, oh my god, Ariana Grande. And then Victoria Justice just cuts in, and she's like, I think everybody, we're all great singers. Like I think we're all great singers. <laughs> so we all need to be great singers in this large foreign policy collective. Yeah, and then everyone's just looking over, like all the other countries are looking, and like it's obviously <laughs> Ariana Grande. I mean, at the end of the day, it's obviously China's project. Yeah, it's obviously China, but like... The U.S. can go in there and we can we can pull a Victoria Justice move on up. Be like, let's make all countries part of this project. Yes, let's make all countries part of this project. I mean, this way we'll have like more influence over it if we become a part of it. And we'll be able to make more like streamlined trade routes as well and take advantage of them if they're comprised of like high-speed railways and such that will allow for more. Like I know for one, I would die to have that bullet train that Japan mm-hmm. has. Absolutely. That Could thing you imagine takes you. travel like after that? Oh my god. A Pete Buttigieg, get the Amtrak on this level. Literally, how long would Amtrak it take? It would, pay, it would probably take like five hours to go across the country. Instead I have actually of, no knowledge of this. Instead of days. Yes. Days across I saw the Greyhound bus trip and it was like a two and a half day trip to go from like Washington that's straight driving. California. That's straight driving too. That's not that's not stopped every ten minutes to go to the bathroom. I can barely stand the two day trip to Florida. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. Yes. Yeah, so I think that that's one way we could be combating this soft power influence. Yeah, because I think that like going off of that, I think that it's really important to have the soft power influences that we can counter it with. I think that it's. If we were using more soft power influences, we would be able to better counter this as a whole rather than just being able to counter it militarily. Because at the end of the day, this isn't 
necessarily a military policy, which, you know, that's included in it with hard power. However, a lot of it is based off of soft power and creating those relationships and, you know, having a better worldview of China. As long as China has a better worldview and people view China as more favorable than the U.S., all of a sudden they're going to be looking to China for more support and, you know, to have closer relationships with. So if China goes and has a better image in the world media, that's going to put the U.S. at an extreme disadvantage. Oh, yeah, definitely. The United States would not be happy no. about not being number one. Absolutely not. Which I'd love to talk about on another episode one day as to whether or not America really is number one or not. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you, though. That'd be really interesting to talk about. Just because, like, I know I've had this conversation with other people. Like, people will ask me, they're like, do you think, like, America's the best country? And I think a lot of... More patriotic people will, of course, say, yes, absolutely, America's number one. Mm. People ask me, and my answer is always, I don't know. I haven't been to all the other countries. I could not tell you. Yeah, and it's like, you know, a lot of these people that they're, you know, they haven't seen a lot of American tourists, but now they're seeing a lot of Chinese tourists and Chinese workers. They're saying, you know, China sounds really awesome to go and visit. Let's go visit China. They're not saying, let's go visit the U.S. They're saying, let's go visit China. Let's have... I'm actually saying let's go visit Arctic. That's my <laughs> let's new go visit stand. The Arctic. Let's go to the Arctic. That sounds Once again, fun. If you haven't watched that episode, if you haven't listened to that episode, you need to go listen to the Arctic episode. It's a great episode. Arctic tourism, man. It's, it's the crazy. next thing. See, it'll be Arctic tourism, then Africa tourism, and then it'll be intergalactic tourism. I mean, Jeff tourism Bezos. is the foundation. Mm-hmm. I just, I just want to tour everything, and mm-hmm. then I'll give you a definitive answer as to whether or not I think. America's number one. There, there you go. There you I go. want to go like roller coaster on the rings of Saturn. <laughs> that is a Sabrina the Teenage Witch reference. We are going to Rainbow Road this, and we are going to be we're going to be visiting everywhere. Stop episode dropping, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Promoter content. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different issues associated with this. What kind, with the soft power influence or with both? I mean, you have the soft power influence, and you know the U.S. isn't doing as much to really combat this you know well, they're just probably like, just buying more guns yeah it, that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty much the american stance on this when america's hard 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 power like always yeah which you know you can you attract a lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar and i think that the u.s you know needs to get on that approach a little bit here that there's a there's a time and place for everything but military advancement is not necessarily the place right now when you can be combating with soft power. Joe Biden had a great relationship with Benjamin Netanyahu. They've been friends and they've known each other, not necessarily friends, but they've known each other since he was back in the Senate. So it's really easy to go and have these, you know, behind the scenes talks with people that you know versus someone that you've never even met before. But again, I would argue that America would just say, why mess with success? You might catch more flies with honey, but you can catch more honeys being, being fly. fly. Okay, baby. <laughs> That's what the United States needs to adopt. Exactly. And it's just, you know, it's something that the U.S. traditionally doesn't do in foreign policy. But it would be really advantageous to start having this new move towards foreign policy that, you know, you're utilizing a lot more soft power than hard power. It's one, cheaper. Two, tends to be more effective, which I do think that we'll be seeing a lot more because President Biden, he really bases a lot of his international relations and foreign policy decisions based off of personal decision, personal interactions, you know, with the 
former prime minister of Israel. Our hard power has worked thus far. Mm-hmm. Why do we need to switch to soft power? Yeah. I totally see why. Like, don't get me wrong. I see why. I just, I think it's important to have a bit of both stances there. If you only go one or the other, you're really limiting yourself in your foreign policy actions that you're able to take. You're not, you're not, you're not allowing yourself to be open to the different opportunities that you can have. And that really limits your strategic options that you have on the table. I mean, this just goes back, though, to the United States not agreeing with China's communism. Mm-hmm. Another, that's like another thing, another uh, lens to look this through theory. Like that could also like dampen any efforts we make to collaborate with China because the United States, as far as I know, is still against China's communism. And I feel like mm-hmm. if they were to respond with anything besides hard power, they could be seen as like a communist sympathizer of sorts. Yeah. And you know, that's a really big thing. Once again, with the United States electorate, you know, they really, the electorate really loved it seeing Donald Trump be hard on China. Democrats, Republicans, everybody loved seeing Donald Trump be hard on China. Even if you weren't a fan of Donald Trump, people tended to favor that. That was a politically favorable thing to do. And I think that we're still seeing that with a tougher approach from Biden of that people want to see that bit of a tougher approach with China. Although the soft power approach, it makes sense too. You want to be able to use both, but the electorate right now. This makes no sense to me. It's like, we want peace. We want, we want everybody to collaborate also politically favorable to just crack down on any other country. Yeah. Like that, that, that makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. But I mean, at this point, that's kind of what the electorate wants, but it's really interesting to think about. And we're, you know, in the midst of seeing how it's going so far, it's only been implemented for the past few years. So it's really interesting to kind of see where it's going to go and where it's going to take China in terms of its foreign policy decisions and, you know, how it impacts it domestically as well and how it impacts the rest of the world. I see. Well, I mean, all right, we'll just have to see in 2050. We'll catch you guys then, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We will be back next week. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, the year 2050. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your comments. Go and follow us on our Instagram at Hot Girl Briefing. Talk to us in the comments. We want to hear your thoughts. How do you think that China's really going to be panning out with this? Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Rating, review, subscribe to. Give us a comment if you think Hunter goes too high. I don't think so, but I'm just kidding. Listen, I try, I try. And give me a comment if you think that I talk too loud. I know all my coworkers <laughs> think I do. Listen, only my laughs combat your talking when I'm editing these episodes. <laughs> Okay, so you're high and I'm loud. Pretty much, pretty much. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for tuning in, and this has been your... Hot Girl Briefing. Bye! Bye. I think they need therapy. They might (laughs) want that, but I think they need therapy. We should all go talk to all of our therapists. That's really great. We all have wants. We all have desires. Keep on thinking. Keep on dreaming. Let's pick the most practical option that will work out with the best outcome. Just like, no with a heart. No. All right, well, do you have anything else to say about this one? About this uh, Belt Road Initiative? Basically, you guys will be seeing this come to a foreign policy near you by the year 2050 because Xi Jinping is really on board by having a lot of his foreign policy goals wrapped up by the year 2050. 2050? 2050. The, the world won't even be around by then. Girl, Climate we... change will take us all. Once again, go listen to the Arctic episode. That's what he's betting on. <laughs> that's, that's what he's betting on, obviously. I don't know, man.